Before we dive into today's episode, I want to take a minute or two of your time to tell you about something really fun that you can be part of starting in September. It's called the Creator Club and it's a streamlined 90-day community for creative women in small business who desire to have a little more structure and support in their life. Now, if you're listening to this and you're a small business owner, you know that there's this other side of running a small business or being a solopreneur that from the outside people just don't see because Every day, you are reliant on your own energy, you're reliant on your own motivation to get up out of bed and keep things going. And you're always making decisions, lots of decisions, juggling commitments, the kids, the dog, the other half around your work. So whilst it might look all polished and together on the outside, behind the scenes, there's a lot going on. And once in a while, I'm betting that it would be nice to take the pressure off a little, give yourself some space, some space to plan, set goals or lean into the areas that you might be a little bit stuck right now, the things that are stopping you, maybe a few mindset things from moving those goals forward. And mostly what this community is about is about giving you the space to take a big, deep breath and feel supported through your small business journey. We kick off September 8th and you can find all of the details by clicking the link in the show notes or by heading to www.rubymarsh.com slash the create her club. All one word, the creator club. Now on to my guest for today's episode. Shinabu Hindert is a certified financial planner, money expert and creator of Empowered Planning. She has spent over 10 years creating personalized financial plans for hundreds of individuals and families around the country. And when I say country, I mean the US, by the way. Through her experience working for some of the largest institutions, Shinabu has created a proven method for teaching personal finance and delivered over 500 live workshops. Wowzers, that's amazing, woman. Her goal is to simplify the complex world of money and empower women to reach financial freedom. So without further ado, I want to welcome to the show, Shinabu of Empowered Planning. This is the True To You podcast, your very own work bestie. Each week, we come together for honest conversations about reinventing yourself and your career, all while navigating a path towards meaningful work. I'm your host, Ruby Marsh. Let's do this. Welcome, Shinabu, to the True To You podcast. Thank you. I am so happy to be here. I've been listening to a number of your podcasts and just if, if I'm doing something, I have to stop and take notes. So I've um, found a lot of impact from them and I hope I hope I can do the same for people today. Oh, amazing. Amazing. Now, we are chatting to you from, where are you based? San Diego? San Diego. Yes. Amazing. Amazing. And as we speak, it's very Australian. I've got some kookaburras. 
and the oh, trees outside cool. which is not <laughs> typical for us but because we live in a fairly urban environment but yeah they're going off so apologies if anyone can hear the kookaburras in the back <laughs> <laughs> I thought that was pretty cool so the reason why I wanted to get Shinabu on the podcast today is because she is very versed in one of the subjects that I love that I think is so intertwined with us as uh, career women and particularly small business owners and that is our finances and she is the founder of a company called Empowered Planning so perfect um, (laughs) perfect name because I think when women have that power and that choice as well and feel like they can make really sound choices everything flows from there because it's so so integrated to our self-worth and I think if we can make choices from that really great place it's very exciting so thank you so much for joining me today yes thank you for having me Yeah. So as always, I love to hear a little bit about my guest story and their background. And I was doing a little bit of digging around and researching your background. And something that was really interesting to me was this connection for you between the way that your parents approached finances and how that influenced perhaps your career, we can go into that in a little bit, but some of the ways in which you've now uh, approached finances in your own life, maybe there's some values, some transparency, I think there was around decisions that they made. And I think that's so interesting because so much of our money story is comes from our parents, doesn't it? And mm-hmm. is is very much our conditioning, our society, what people say around us as we're growing up, and we kind of hold on to those values, and then it influences how we make those decisions later in life. So, would you share for us a little bit about your experience of growing up with your parents who were immigrants and how they approached money and how that informed your decisions later in life and your mindset now? Yeah, absolutely, because it's been such an influence. So there's no way that I could avoid the connection. It's glaring to me. And I think it's really had this light bulb effect for me to realize, hey, when I'm working with clients, stuff from the past continues to come up. So I like to address it head on and upfront so we can talk about what that money culture looks like. But for me, it was, you know, my father was born and raised in Kenya. And he had lost his both of his parents, you know, before he was 18 years old. So he was really forced to become financially independent earlier on in life. And my mother was born and raised in Japan. And that was a very traditional family, a female type of environment. So they had both come to the United States. And my father, when I was growing up, he, you know, from seven, eight years old, really sat me down and just explained, hey, your mom and I might not be here one day. And if that happens, you don't have any relatives in the United States. So you need to figure out how you're going to live in life and how you're going to survive because there's no guarantee we're going to be here. And I remember being terrified because I felt comfortable with my family and I, I didn't, I hadn't experienced any significant loss at that point. So it was very foreign to me and very scary. And my mom 
was really uncomfortable. She's like, what are you doing? This doesn't feel good. This doesn't feel right. She's a little girl. And he just kept going back to, we don't have any relatives here. And I think that was very real for my mom. She knew that. And even though she had a loving family in Japan, none of them spoke English. And I'm eight years old and I knew um, bits and pieces of Japanese enough that was cute for a kid to ask for you know, directions or food, but I wasn't going to be having these fluent conversations. So he really in involved me in, you know, the amount of income that they made and what that meant for things that we could afford. So those were conversations I was having from eight years old, nine years old. And so when holidays were come up and I specifically remember when we were going back to school and everyone was doing this back to school shopping, I was having pretty honest conversations with my parents of them saying like, here's where we're at financially. It's not that we don't want to get you these things, but we don't have the money right now. And so it was you know, me wanting some designer sneakers and then my mom taking me to a discount shop saying, hey, these are, <laughs> these are your options. And, you know, I, as a kid, you want to fit in and you want to have the newest things and um, be looked at in that sense. But it, it kept bringing it home for me that we're making these decisions together and they're working hard for me. I want to be able to help out. So those financial conversations always made my mom uncomfortable because she was, not coming from a place where it was normal for women to talk about money, especially young women. Um, but my dad took it a step further. It wasn't just about the income that he made, but he also talked to me about problems he was having at work because he was in management. And so he would just say, hey, here's the situation that I'm dealing with. And he really wanted me to be able to understand how he solved problems with people and with money. And it was it definitely influenced my career and, and my decisions with money. And I know for myself, even though it made me very conscious about how I spent money and I was able to build wealth because of it, it also prevented me from enjoying a lot of my parts of my childhood. And then even as a young adult, because I was constantly saving for this, horrible thing that I thought was going to happen at any moment. So that with that came a lot of fear around money that was really driving my decision making. So yeah, I, I'm totally with you that your culture, how you're raised, the money language that you have growing up really influences your decisions as an adult. Yeah. And so realizing that you had some really, really great and powerful elements to your childhood when it came to money. And then at what point did you realize that there were also some beliefs that weren't serving you, that unconsciously you'd taken them on in terms of enjoying your wealth and enjoying your money and, and making decisions, uh, not just out of a forward planning perspective that your dad was really hitting home for you, but saying you can also enjoy what you have in the moment? I, I think it was when I met my husband and we started having fun together <laughs> and we would plan a trip and we would talk about building our lives together. And I was so, how can I put this nicely? I wasn't, I wasn't a lot of fun when it came to money and we were really able to balance each other out. And at that time, I started to reflect back on the last 10 years in my relationship. And, and one of the things that really sticks out to me now is I have 
a childhood friend who I was always so close with. And when I had moved to San Diego, she was getting married and I was her maid of honor. I was a big part of her wedding and her family, her father used to joke when they would take me everywhere because we didn't have family. We would spend a lot of holidays celebrating with her family because she was Greek. We came from a town where there was a lot of Greek families there. So if there was a party, it was a huge party. And so I grew up with a lot of that culture. And her father used to joke that I was his adopted daughter when we would meet people. And everyone would kind of look at me like, is he joking or is he being serious? But I knew her family so well. Mm. So when she was getting married, she had a bachelorette party and I didn't go. And it wasn't because I couldn't afford a flight or I couldn't afford to do it. I couldn't spend the money. And in the moment, it felt like the right decision. But years later, looking back on that, I wouldn't have cared now if I spent $1,000, $2,000, whatever the, the money was, it wouldn't have mattered to me today. But in that moment, I thought I was making the right decision. So being able to get past that, enjoying life with my husband and quite frankly, you know, getting a dog and you you have to spend, you know, spend on medications and spend on things, having children, you can't plan for all of these things and kind of being forced to be financially flexible is what, what did it, but it really didn't happen until a couple of years ago where I was able to reflect back on that. And it makes me sad that I made a lot of decisions of what I thought were good decisions or the right decisions, but really removed me from having experiences and probably at times even getting close to people because I was purely making decisions out of fear around Mm -hmm. finances. So interesting. And I think great though, that you've had both sides because now you can identify that in women that might be coming from that place. Right. Mm -hmm. And you can also say that here's the other side. Here's also what's possible when you shift your money mindset. Did you do anything practically speaking to shift that mindset? I know that so much money um, mindset work is wrapped up in personal development these days. And there's a lot of opportunities, so many books that we can read, uh, podcasts now, uh, there's courses we can take, you're creating resources for women as well. Were there any specific tools that you leaned on to help shift that belief or was it simply uh, being a little more spontaneous and making some of these decisions on the fly rather than having them planned out? It was definitely intentional work that I was putting in towards self-development because I think being guarded or being afraid financially carried over into my personal life because even having starting a family and creating that there there's this real fear well what if something were to happen and I create this family and I'm not able to be there for them so I had to work through a lot of this to lighten up and through I think a lot of community that I built of talking about these things and seeing different ways that people live. I've created a three-step process for myself when I run into these barriers or these roadblocks that I, I mean, even right now, I, I went to go lease a car. It was the same exact car that I've been driving. And I was thinking, should I buy this? Should I lease again? I went to the dealership and they, they looked at everything and they said, okay, based on where you're at today, we'll let you lease the same car it's brand new, but we'll knock off a few, a few dollars. 
So financially, logically, that makes a lot of sense. There's nothing in there that's confusing. I immediately had a pit in my stomach and I wasn't feeling good and it was completely emotional. And I know now because I've been through this so many times, that's my emotional fear trying to drive how I make financial decisions where I, I literally in that moment, it felt irresponsible for me to lease another car because I'm thinking it's new. Why do I need a new car? I should just, you know, make this, make a decision, get a car that's not as expensive, whatever the case is, when my payment was actually going down. So I've dealt with myself enough and I've had to deal with myself enough that I have come up with a system that works for me and I share it with clients that I work with and try to have them tailor it to their own, which is, you know, acknowledge that it's happening. So in that moment, I'm sitting, you know, at the, the table, the desk, about to sign these documents and I'm texting my husband. He was nice enough to run out and get everybody coffee because we had been there for a while. So he's like, hey, I'll go grab it. And I had to text him and I said, I feel really uncomfortable. I know this makes sense. I just feel really uncomfortable. So I think the first part is acknowledging it. The second part is reframing my thinking around it is this is not a scary decision. It feels uncomfortable, but I actually need another car. And based on the numbers, I don't want to buy this existing car that I had because the technology wasn't working well. I don't want to own something where I'm skeptical about the technology and they're lowering my payment. And then the move through it is the third step. And that's really what I try to get people to focus on because we can be so quick to not make decisions around money because they're overwhelming. So if you just don't make a decision, then you're off the hook, right? Because you didn't make the wrong decision. So the move through it part for me, I know, is talking to my husband about it and talking through it and to have a system set up. So it's going to be different in different scenarios. This was specifically around a car, but based on personal development that I've done with community connections that I have with my behaviors, that's what works for me is acknowledging it, definitely not ignoring it because then I probably wouldn't have slept that night because I would have felt bad about a good decision that I made, um, changing my way of thinking and then picking a solution to move through it. So I would recommend for people that typically get hung up on making decisions, maybe it's finding a mentor or working with a coach or working with a professional that they trust that they know is going to help them through that decision. Because it is emotions really dictate how we make financial decisions. That's such a good three-step process. And I loved the last bit because I think that's been so much of my work as well is making decisions and making lots of decisions actually helps you to train yourself to move through that fear quicker. Mm -hmm. And like you said, if you sat on the decision for too long, those emotions just keep building up and building up and you you lose sleep and you don't eat and all of these things. So why uh, put yourself through all of that pain? And even if it's a no, that wouldn't have mattered either, right? It's right the fact that you've made the decision. So thank you so much for sharing that. I think if anybody takes anything away from this podcast, that little three-step process when you're in the moment of having to make a big financial decision will help people so much. What do you notice for women are some of the roadblocks that they encounter when it comes to investing, which is part of your specialty? Is that right? Yes, yes, definitely part of my specialty. I've spent almost 15 years working in the financial industry, but mostly with 
building wealth and as a financial planner. So investing is always the hot topic. And I have to say, after working with hundreds of people in young and mature in age, men and women, there are plenty of people who run into roadblocks because investing is complex. Yes. It's absolutely complicated. It's not something we're taught in school. So investing as a standalone topic for many people is foreign. For women, I think it's compounding of why it's difficult. I think a big contributing factor is the industry as a whole is very mature. It's one of the last industries out there that I can think of that are actively incorporating women. The industry right now is doing the best job it's ever done. Um, I had only been in it for 15 years, but it's significantly better now than it was 15 years ago. But if you look at it from the top down, from an industry perspective, from a company's perspective, that trickles all the way down to the client level. And if you're a young female and you want to get more involved with investing and your only options are to work with an older man, it's intimidating. And it also doesn't sound very fun if you have to take time off of work and you have to get in your spare time and sit down with a, you know, potentially older man that's going to talk to you. A lot of women don't, don't want to do that. So I think big thing is just the industry in general and the culture it's created, but also as a society, the culture that we have, I think it's very common for women to be told, you you don't talk about weight. You don't ask a woman how old she is. You don't talk about money. It's impolite. It's masculine. And especially when you look at it from a spiritual level, it's considered to be selfish. Mm. So I think society has a lot to do with it. And then I'm exaggerating when I use this term, but I think a lot of women can play uh, damsel in distress when it comes to investing. So, you know, I'm not saying we're all totally clueless in our daily lives, but in the sense that someone else will take care of investing for me, that comes up a lot with the women that I work with. And it's difficult for them to admit because these are ambitious, successful, driven women. And when we dig down into the emotional aspect of it, and then really the complacency behind investing, you know, it kind of gets to this point of submission where they're kind of shrug their shoulders and like, oh, I just kind of thought someone else was going to do this for me. Um, so I think it's a combination of, of those things as to why there's so many roadblocks around women diving headfirst into investing. It's a societal thing. It's an industry thing. It's not one quick solution that we can solve. So when women come to you and want to work with you, what would be one of the first things that you focus on knowing that some of these aspects might be playing on their minds or influencing their past decisions. How do you help support them to move through those? Yeah. What's one of the first, second, third things that you work on together to ensure that they feel they're like, they're really owning the decisions because it sounds like that ownership of your decisions around finances was, is a big thing that you hear. Mm -hmm that we either give away to someone else or we delay until we really need to, or we rely on uh, larger powers that be <laughs> to support <laughs> us, whether that be government level or whatever it is. Talk to me about some of the first few things that you work on with your clients. The first thing is absolutely emotions, mm. emotions, 
And I would call them your money mindset. I would call them finding your money blind spots because we all have them. Mine can be fear and limiting beliefs around what that, what that could do for me. And, and I've kind of identified five common blind spots that people experience and I take them through what those are. So complacency on, on the surface, a lot of women are saving, they're saving money, they're working, they're saving that money. And then it stops there. They're just sitting in cash. And in their mind, they're doing the right thing because they've been saving money. They're responsible and they're not taking it further with investing, but they're kind of looking at it like, well, my financial situation's not broken. I'm not doing bad. Maybe I could be doing better, but I'm not doing bad. And really when we dig into complacency, a lot of times at the root of it is people don't feel like they deserve to have more wealth. And that's crazy because these women are busting their butts every single day. So for them to, you know, when we start to dig into the emotional aspect of what wealth can really bring them, I think that gets people really excited and it, it removes feeling restricted around money or having to follow all of these rules or learn about investing to, well, this is really what I want in life. I'm building this business so I can expand this business or share the message, or I'd like to eventually travel and not only rely on this business. And when we really start opening up to what money can bring them and do for them, then it feels less like, you know, a math problem, but more mm -hmm. of a, a life choosing a lifestyle of, I have one life. I'm going to make sure that it's the life that I want to be living. And if not, what are the things I can change to get there? So I think the first thing is really bringing out that emotion, but for me, it's finding that excitement. Why, why are they doing what they're doing with their career? And then what do they want out of life? And once we figure that out, it's funny because it sounds so cheesy if I wasn't in person, um, whether it's through my course or it's asking an active question. If someone were to just read, okay, we're going to go through a financial planning process and what, what are my dreams? It's like, what the heck kind of question is this? But really that's why we're all working, right? It's like, we have these bigger dreams that we want to make sure that we can hit and investing can get you there a lot faster. Mm. So that's really the, the first process of what I do is figuring out what the heck people want to do with their lives. Yeah, I love that. I love that. And it's such an innovative, innovative way to approach it because I imagine that a lot of the industry, you can be told this is what you should do rather than your approach, which is, hey, I'm going to consider the fact that you might want to live this kind of lifestyle or you know, you're planning for this in the future and really considering all of these things that perhaps other people might not even ask questions around. They're really just concerned about building as much wealth as you can for retirement. And mm, that's yeah. your goal and maybe your, your children and estate planning and things like that. So I think that's really exciting. I think that there'll be so many women out there that would love that opportunity to connect their dreams and their goals to the financial freedom that they can create as a result. So, yeah, I try to yeah. use what I call the three why test. So on the surface level, if I say, okay, I want to save money so I can send my kids to college. My response to myself would be, well, why? And well, I want them to have a good education so they can get a good start in life and they can have a good job. Well, why? Well, because my parents 
worked so hard to make sure that they could pay for me to go to college because they didn't have it easy as being immigrants in the United States. It was really difficult for them, but they gave up so much sacrifice that I questioned would I be willing to sacrifice all of that for my kids today? And I want that to be their legacy. I want them to look back and say, we worked so hard to get you to go to school. And now you've been able to raise a family and on your own, save enough money so you could send them to school. So when I think about, okay, I want to save for my kids college. I'm not looking at it like, oh my gosh, this is just another place that I have to save. I'm looking at this like, this is a legacy for my parents that I can proudly tell my children, the reason you're graduating from this college and you don't have this college debt is because my parents wanted this for us, for our family. And so that's a really powerful message for me, rather than me looking at that account going, okay, I got to I can't do something else that I want to enjoy. I have to throw money in this account. So I do that with my clients as well. It's like, let's find out. And if they tell me the surface goal is, oh, I want to grow my business. Well, why? Why do you want to really do that? And I think it just attaches us to that end result more. And yeah, you're not looking at, oh, all these rules with finances. It starts to become fun, fun mm. planning after that. Yes, yes. I love that. I love that. If a woman is thinking about, investing she has some savings in the bank maybe she has some assets a mortgage or something like that what would be some of the first steps that a woman could do if she has limited time because I know that that is probably one of the excuses that a woman might have or a man as well oh I don't want to spend my weekend reading Mm -hmm. money books or looking at shares that's boring to me (laughs) right um I'm sure that's what you hear but at some point there's also this uh, knowing that if they don't do something now if they don't spend a little bit of time that it's only nothing's going to change and so if a woman has a little bit of money and she wants to start investing, what's some places that you suggest they start with? So that's a loaded question. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> a wide world of investing, but I would say with the current investment landscape today, it's incredibly easy to get started with technology, with ease of use. In a matter of minutes, you can open up an account online, link it to your bank account and buy a stock really, really quickly. Um, Mm -hmm. I wouldn't uh, recommend starting that way where you're choosing something blindly. But if someone has a 401k or retirement plan at work where they have options to get invested, I would start there. You could always start with a retirement account for yourself, again, to do that. Um, But investing or choosing an investment strategy blindly can be really dangerous because Mm -hmm. the whole point of investing is to leverage your money so you can grow your money and be able to buy things that you want in the future, even if that's retirement. So I would have to pick on your question a little bit and say limited time is the narrative that we need to change because if you have limited time when you're putting little effort into this and you don't know what to do over time, that could cost someone hundreds of thousands of dollars. And that's what the heck, that's crazy to me. That is, that's mind blowing. So I would say the three considerations people need to make are factors that would go into choosing an investment is, you know, you need to know when you need the money for, I think a lot of people save money without 
an end goal in mind and they invest money without an end goal in mind. So they don't really know the purpose of it. They lose the motivation and then maybe they're picking the wrong investment. So you first need to know what is the purpose of this money? When am I actually going to use it? What does their current financial situation look like? So if it is extra savings, do they have an emergency fund? If something were to happen, are they gonna have to sell this investment to access cash or no? Is this reserved for something else? And then what's tolerance to risk? Because you could read something online and they say, oh, an easy way to invest is to buy an index fund that's in you know stocks. Mm. Well, how comfortable are you with seeing the market go up and down? What if someone did that in January of this year and then by March, yeah. They're seeing, you know, they're seeing that drop 30% in value and they sell it. Well, that was the worst decision. They should have just kept it in cash. So there's not an easy or quick way to do this. Um, mm-hmm. I created this course to help women navigate through this because, and I guess how I would reference this is President Obama did an, an interview with Vanity Fair when he was president and he said, you know, he talked about how he only wears blue and gray suits mm. because he doesn't want to make decisions about what he wears and he doesn't want to make any decisions about what he eats because he said later on in the day when he's trying to make critical decisions, your mind starts to get tired. Mm. So we make, I, I believe they say about 35,000 decisions a day. If you look at the life cycle of what it looks like from someone who starts researching an investment to actually purchasing, there are so many decisions that you have to make and commitments that you have to make that it's exhausting. So if you have a, a very minimal amount of baseline understanding, I would imagine that people don't ever pull the trigger because you're researching, you're researching, it starts to become resistance around that. It starts to become information paralysis. So I would really, 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 I'm in the camp that this needs to be something that people make time for. And I love that you're doing this on a podcast because if someone's cooking, they can throw it on and listen to it. And it's just like raising your awareness. Once you become more aware, you're going to want to get more informed. Once you want to get more informed, you start taking action. And I'm all about creating action and actionable steps because otherwise save the brain cells for other information that you, that you might need because investing is I think it's a lifestyle that people need to take on about building wealth. And then it's incredibly powerful when you start to build that wealth and it can really change, change your life. So I, I would like everyone to make, make more time for it. I, I love that you turned that question around. That makes me so happy. <laughs> That's just my coaching mind. Right. But I think you're so right that there's that saying it goes something Thing like where your, um, you know, like where your energy goes, you know, things like will grow basically as if mm-hmm. you're nurturing something like you're nurturing. I've got a plant next to me on the desk. If I don't water that plant and I'm not consistent with that, it's not that you can do a quick course in, in money and investing and then make a few decisions and not worry about it. It's something that right. you if you're going to make a choice for that to be part of your life, then uh, regular time, there's a, there's a guy in Australia called the barefoot investor and he's gone. You might not, you may or may not have heard of him. He's gone crazy over here in terms of giving um, individuals and households simple strategies around investing. And he's got these books 
And he suggests that, especially if you're in a partnership, but even if you're on your own, that every month you do a money date. And I would say you would probably suggest every week you're, you're doing a check of different things and mm-hmm. as needed. But I think that has really started people making this decision-making process and nurturing it and growing it part of their routine, part of their life, as you say, even if some people don't agree with his strategies as well, but he's at least given people the opportunity to bring that power back, I think, as well. Yeah, I think that's yeah. great because if you're starting from, you know, if you have to go 10 steps and the 10th step is you understanding your investment strategy, you're fully invested and you're comfortable with it. If you're starting from the first step and then every time you're doing work, you're only getting to the third step because you're, you're literally tired. It's exhausting digesting all of this information and figuring out what's noise, what's real. And if every time then you, you table it. And then three months later, you go back and you're like, okay, I'm going to go back to step one and you get to step three. It's tiring. If you were to kind of poke at it all the time, then maybe most times when you sit down and you have these money dates that you're talking about, you're going from step seven to 10. Mm. It's like, well, that's not so hard because I, I have a big board that I'm springing from. I don't have to figure out all of this from day one. It just gets easier and easier and easier. And I would relate it to anybody's career of where they are today versus where they started. And was it an easy road? No. And it was just kind of constantly getting this information. And at least in the United States, pensions are becoming a thing of the past. So it's really unusual that someone would have one today in the, the um, private sector. It's less than, I think, less than 10% of Fortune 500 companies offer a pension today. Um, and so we haven't actually seen a generation in the United States retire that more than 50% of the retirees don't have a pension. So this storm, this wave is coming, and I don't know what the impact is going to look like, but for people right now who aren't on the cusp of retirement, they have a lot of time to make a ton of great changes and save hundreds, if not millions of dollars by taking those steps now. That time is the biggest asset. So just get involved with it, and it, it literally, it's life-changing. Yes. Talk to me a little bit about some of the clients that you work with. Are they mainly business owners themselves or is it a range of women that you work with and possibly you work with some men as well? We don't want to forget about the guys. <laughs> I do work with men. And the funny part yeah. is there's a lot of women that show up, but their partners are involved and they're just like, well, I don't really know any of this stuff either. This sounds great. And so even though I'm speaking to women, it's really the collective, mm. collective group of it. So they're, I would say they're the majority are people that are business owners, but that is also attributed to my efforts of the communities that I've been reaching mm. out to. But I, I would say it's like a 60, 40 split. It's not by any means, it's not 90% that's self-employed because a lot of people that are employed by a company, they have a retirement plan, they have access to it. And if you ask, well, what are you invested in? They have no idea. They're like, oh, I think my company's doing it for me. And that's not the case. So I think they're kind of having these moments where am I, am I putting enough in? Am I taking advantage of the right resources? How should I be investing? And I think when you are become the more established in your career, you can actually breathe 
and mm. you pick your head up and you're going, okay, I'm not struggling anymore. I'm not confused about my identity. I'm not in my twenties anymore. I'm ready to, ready to look into this. And they start doing that. So it is a mix between um, people that are self-employed and people that work for companies. Cause there's, there's really not a lot of education on this prior to the joining the workforce. No, no, absolutely. And not even within your workforce, you might get at times I was invited to be part of a a company share plan, uh, things like that, but really it's not their job either. Uh, (laughs) But I think that there could be a lot more support as well for women. And I think what you're doing in terms of raising your the awareness of this and just being on this call with you right now, I have to say that I am learning so much. So for everyone else out there, I can't even imagine how much their minds are being blown by what you're saying. So thank you so much for imparting all of this wisdom today. It's, it's so interesting to hear your approach from someone that has really been in the industry for long enough that they've seen you've been through 2008 you've been through Mm -hmm. a recession so you know the highs and the lows of the market and yeah and I am human and I make mistakes and there's you know it's all about just fine-tuning what you're doing and sticking on the path and finding what works and you know I I would say this is the time where you want to get comfortable with investing through a recession with Mm. investing through these different economic cycles because when you retire if you eventually ever want to stop working you're going to have to turn all of that money you saved into income. And that's a totally different kind of investing where right now we might be more aggressive with stocks and looking for that growth. Later on, you're worried about principal preservation. You're worried about keeping that money. The investments are different. I would imagine it'd be so difficult to make those decisions at that age if you didn't have a really good baseline understanding of the investment world, because now if you make a mistake with your decision, you cannot make up for that. You can't get that time back. Well, right now, if you make a mistake, okay, it stinks, but you learn from these. Um, and, it's, and, and a mistake might even be just not making a decision. You can learn through that and work through it in the future. If you make a big decision, that could change, that could change your, whole, your whole livelihood. Yes. So good. So good. In terms of working with small business owners, because I know that a large amount of my audience are small business owners. What do you find with solopreneurs, entrepreneurs, small business owners, self-employed people, whatever term you you want to give yourself out there, people, what do you find uh, some of the things that, uh, could be really helpful for them in terms of thinking about their money in a broader sense, because most of us are just trying to get a handle on paying our taxes, paying Mm -hmm. our, um, we call it GST here in Australia. So our goods and services tax, if we're earning over a certain threshold, um, all of that for a lot of small business owners is, so much to get their head around and they often stick their head in the sand and, and uh, really need to call on some support to gain clarity around that. If they want to then go to the next step of 
investing some of their money and thinking about their business in terms of the potential investments they can make. What are some of the things that you support small business owners with? You don't have to give specific advice, but some things that could really help them if they've got a handle on their taxes and they're feeling good about their base level of accounting in their life and they want to go to that next step. They've, they've got a little bit of cash flow left over. Uh, what's some things that small business owners in particular can think of? Because I know small business can be such a roller coaster and it can take three to five years to build to a stable income for a lot of mm-hmm. people but we don't want to leave investing off the table either. So, Yeah, this is the main reason why I created my company, why I created my course, because I was getting a lot of these questions and mm-hmm. in the last capacity of my job for, for you know, the frankness of it, I couldn't help people that didn't have a lot of money yeah. to invest today. Yeah. So I, the, I, I struggled when somebody would call me and say, well, what could I do with this? And what are the resources I would research? And I'm like, geez, I could send you to a website, but there's not a lot of resources that you can actually go and, and do this on your own. And then a lot of financial planners who are small standalone businesses, you know, they don't have the experience that I had because I worked for a really big company that I was running hundreds of financial plans versus if you're on your own and your biggest job is getting clients, you're spending your time marketing and mm-hmm. you're spending your time finding one client. They don't have the complexity and also the resources that I had. If I had a client that had complex needs, I could call three different specialists and walk, walk through that together. And I'm a certified financial planner. I have this vast background that I was like, well, I don't really, there's not a ton of resources out there. So I created my academy course. Of, of course, this is a total selfish plug, but for this reason is to Go help, for it. People, <laughs> help people get started appropriately. Because when There is hesitation around making financial decisions, especially with investments, because there's real risk. You could lose your money. So I don't necessarily think people should start quickly. I think it's understanding, having them understand what their financial goals are. And if you do that in your personal life, it absolutely trickles down to how you run your business. Because then when you're thinking about hiring staff or expanding and what that looks like, you can start to make financial decisions from a place of confidence because you understand either the bigger picture, the planning goal, how the numbers work, and and you can actually plan for those things. You could even do it with the business account through investing. So the course that I created is to help people really understand how to create effective financial goals instead of just having these vague ideas or wants for their business or wants for themselves. Like, let's get really, really crystal clear of what that looks like. And then I show people and teach people how to use free tools that are available online for them to back into those numbers to really determine, is that goal realistic? So if someone wants to expand their business and have, you know, three employees in five years from now, well, let's run the numbers behind that. Let's run some calculations on investments. And we might get to that and say, well, based on your cash flow, you actually shouldn't invest that money, but you can save that in this type of account and shield it maybe from some taxes and try to figure it out that way. But if someone has a longer term goal and investing is involved, then 
we get into the world of investing and there's so much out there. There's tons of products and tons of investments. A lot of them aren't relevant for what most people need. So once we kind of shed it away of saying, here are the three main ways that people invest, then someone can start to explore well, what, I, what would I be comfortable with? How hands-on do I want to be? And then start really looking at what those options are. And all of a sudden it doesn't become overwhelming. It's not that stressful. You have those options available, but I would find a partner in all of this that you trust that you want to work with. So not necessarily someone who's going to sell you something and sell you a product and get you to buy. Cause that's one of the biggest complaints I hear from small business owners is when they want to dig into this, they're meeting with someone who's giving them good information. At the end of it, they're trying to sell them a disability policy or they're trying to sell them and, and, and then they can't move forward. They can't see the whole plan. And they're like, is this guy looking out for me or is he trying to get me to buy something? So it's the nature of the business, unfortunately, of the way that companies are set up, which is why I created an educa education only business, because I don't want there to be any confusion about what my purpose is. And so if people are looking at dabbling in investments, I would find a partner, someone, a trusted professional that you know, they're looking out for you and they're not trying to make a quick buck because you're looking at investing because you want this to become, you know, building wealth to become a lifestyle, not just like a one quick investment that you could buy. If that's the case, then anyone could just go and buy an index fund and cross your fingers. Yes, uh, <laughs> such good advice. I love that and I love how, clear you are on the people that you want to serve and how you can help them and this long-term approach and hopefully people choose you as their support partner. <laughs> yeah. Tell me a little bit more about your course that you offer. What, uh, what do you go through in this? Uh, what's the intention of it? If people are interested in you know, looking into it a little bit more? How do you work? I, the, the purpose of this course is to help people invest with confidence and make, confidently make financial decisions and be able to evaluate what's the difference between fear or anxiety or complacency versus real financial risk. Because I don't want people, I don't want to go with the intention of oh, this is just fear. It's emotions. Go ahead and make these decisions. No, 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 no. You need to know what you're risking when you're making these financial decisions, but there's a process to follow. So I've created an easy to follow method, but that has action steps. So with each, it's a 10 week course. And I, the way that I've structured it is the first course is in the class is information dumping. I'm just giving all of this information about how to create financial goals. You know, what does this look like? Here are the tools that you can run. And then the weeks after that, it's implementing it. It's like going out and doing it and seeing, does this even make sense? And one of the things that I can relate it to is, I don't know if you have seen this, but on, I think it's HDTV, they have first time home buyers and they tell the realtor all, all the things that they want. And they're like, I want a five bedroom. I want four baths and all granite and the realtor. And they kind of show it on the screen. They're making this checklist. And then the realtor drives them to the neighborhood of their choice and they show them and they're like, okay, I only want to spend 500,000. And the realtor drives around and goes, okay, here's the houses that you're looking for. These are 800,000. And the couple has to go through this moment where they're like, whoa, 
we can't afford that. And then you kind of have to figure out, well, what do we want versus what are we not willing to, to, to negotiate or sacrifice? And that's essentially what this course is. It's getting people in touch with reality. I think a lot of people sell themselves short and think, no, I can't ever have those things. And then the opposite is true, where people think they can get all of these things. But when you run the numbers, it's like, hey, those don't add up. And this is pretty quick math that we can do. So it's really teaching them methods of problem solving on their own finances. And then once we're really, really clear on what their goals are, now we dive into all about investing of how do I get people to speak finances fluently? And so a lot of this is me teach, you take action. We refine it. Me teach, you take action. We refine it. So by the end of the 10 weeks, someone has a program that they've implemented on their own using a lot of the education or guidance from me. So I don't want to have people leave after the end of 10 weeks and they're saying, oh, this was great information. They take a folder, they close it up, they put it in the drawer and then they don't do anything with it. So it's, it's a, in a group setting. So we're also pushing each other. So as we're sharing goals, if someone's looking at an investment property, we kind of walk through that process and we're all learning from each other, but it's really taking that action and doing it together. So if someone is looking at three different companies they want to work with, well, during our weeks where we're not teaching, they're calling, they're calling those companies. They're seeing what web website do they like? What apps are they getting in touch with? What was the customer service like? They were actually getting them to finish and do this on your own. So people are leaving feeling empowered. And that's the whole point of it. And I keep it really open on content because if let's say it's a group of 85, 80% of the people are self-employed. Well, maybe we focus on self-employed retirement plans during that time and what that looks like versus if it's a group of people that all have a 401k, then we look at different options inside of that and maybe their content pieces are different. So it's supposed to be intimate in that setting. And I really want people to leave with that, honestly, just feeling really empowered about their finances and just getting rid of all of the confusion because there is so much out there that really is just noise. I love how straight up and clear you are, but you come from such a place of love that (laughs) I know that learning from you, it's like you're learning from someone that's truly on your team and really wants the best from you. So thank you for doing the work that you do. It's really, really important in this world. And it's really important. I think something that you said earlier was really interesting when we were talking about, uh, having been employed. I, I started my architecture career when I was an architect in 2008, right at the, the, as the recession uh, came into full force. And obviously we're going through a little recession, maybe a big recession for some people right now. And so I think what's really interesting that you said is that we can start this work now at a time where it might feel uncomfortable and it might feel like everyone around us is fearful. But if we can take these opportunities and be able to move through times like this when things Mm -hmm. are really good, right? We we will be that little bit further ahead because we've been able to I guess, create a mindset that's, I want to say invincible. That might not be exactly <laughs> the, the right term, but we, <laughs> but that would be really nice. Of, but coming from a place of power, you know, yes. I, I would think anytime you're making a decision, you want to feel like the wind is at your back. You're making this decision, not from a place of 
desperation or a place of anxiety, but I know I'm making the right decision. I'm confident about it. And it will, I can't tell you the transformation that I've seen from people. It will trickle down to all areas of your life, especially with business. Even if you work for a company and it's going in and asking for a raise and you're not coming at it from a place where I think I should be paying more money. You're having an educated, challenging conversation and you're going head to head with someone who's the decision maker because you've prepped and you're planning and you're speaking fluently in finances. You're not coming out of left field asking for this information. So it just, this confidence building is, it just, you start to build this momentum and you become invincible. You're right. <laughs> yes. Yes. And, and you have autonomy over your life. I think this is the biggest thing that I see that drives women into starting their own businesses is freedom and autonomy of decision making. So let's take that, that intention and have that flow through into all areas of your life so that you can use this big decision to move into small business and the freedom and autonomy you get from that as a way to leverage other decisions in your life like your money decisions as well Mm -hmm. Uh, especially right now where we feel like our freedom has been taken away from us in some some capacity to to feel like you're owning your decisions is really really powerful I know that for myself and I'm sure you know that too as well that you can ride out this storm Uh, Mm -hmm. you don't have to be in it and engulfed by it you can get through it uh, and there'll be some light at the, at the other side as well. Yes. So, and this is what growth feels like. It's yes. uncomfortable. And yes. I think the older you get, you almost forget because you're not so confused. And when things happen that are out of your control and you feel uncomfortable, and like you said, if people can move through these situations, you're growing constantly and you're developing. And especially with investment, you have to look at it like this is a, growth that I'm going to tackle over time rather than I need to become an expert. You don't need to become a certified financial planner or pass these certification tests that they have. You just have to learn how to appropriately take care of your your own finances. Yes. Now, one last question I would love to dive into, something that you have been working on on the side is your book, Uh, talk to us about your book (laughs) you uh writing a finance book and Mm -hmm. that's as much as I know talk to us a little bit more about what that book's about and the process that it's been for you yeah the book is about what my whole business is about is empowering women through financial planning and so I have to think of a much sexier title Luckily, I don't, I'm not at that process yet, but that's, that's what it's about. I want, and the same thing where I wanted to have actionable steps. So people aren't just reading it and saying, this is great information, but just what are some quick, easy things that they can do to take action today? So the process is writing the the first draft was much easier than I thought it was because I was very clear on the direction that I wanted to take. And I was already having a lot of these conversations. So it was a matter of figuring out what is the easiest way, the simplest way I can convey this message that would drive people to take action. So I think having that in mind, I could pick a friend or pick a client and just say, well, how would I explain this to them? Mm -hmm. 
what are the easy terms that I can explain this? And what would be a fun conversation? Because I don't want to write a textbook. And what I would sometimes I would just Google a term to say, okay, well, what happens when people, you know, want to look this up? I would Google it and I would, the stuff I would find, I was like, good gracious, this is why no one wants to read this. This is so boring, even if it's accurate information. So that process has really just been about what would I do if I was sitting down, having a cup of coffee with someone, explaining this to them, they're interested, so I don't bore them to death. How, what does that conversation look like? And so it was really fun. I'm in the thick of the editing phase right now, and it is not fun. <laughs> I would say this is the most challenging part because you start to criticize the work that you've created and it's hurtful, <laughs> number one, and then you have to change a lot of it. And I think sometimes the editing becomes rewriting. And so even though you're doing work, it feels like you didn't push the envelope a little bit farther that day, or you're kind of starting from the beginning. And so it's so humbling, the process, um, but it also really shows me that I want to do this because I keep at it and I'm waking up even earlier to do it. I mean, I'm so structured around doing it because it's one of those things that I've realized if you don't make a really strong 110% committal to this, it will never happen. It's not one of, and I think it's the same thing with building wealth. When I meet clients before in my previous job, I didn't meet clients that just were like, well, I don't know how I built this wealth. It just kind of happened by accident. I mean, that didn't happen. Nobody wrote a book by accident. This is really intentional, intentional stuff. Oh, I'm very, very excited for this book because I know it's going to change a lot of lives. What's your due date time frame for this book to come out? I would, I am aiming for late spring or early summer of next year. So it's funny because during quarantine, a lot of people have written books. So publishing has extended a little bit longer. So it'll probably take about six months for the book to be published and I am hoping that I can get to the final phases and then you have to do the, the fun stuff, which is figuring out the book cover and that. So that'll take some time, but the full editing, I, I hope to be done with that in a few months from now. Amazing. That is my, my intention. Uh, wishing you all the best with that. Process. I will take the lot. The, yeah. <laughs> yeah, take <laughs> take, all take the-, the best wishes. Yes. Uh, you're amazing. You're amazing woman. This has been such a great conversation. We've gone all sorts of directions around the conversation of finance. So as for everyone listening, you can see that this doesn't have to be a conversation that you need to avoid. It's not a boring conversation. It can be a lot of fun. And especially when you have a woman like Shinabu on your team, I know that you are supporting whoever you work with incredibly well. And I just hope that uh, they take the action and, and build the wealth that they want to create. I'm sure they will. I'm sure they're getting amazing results. Where can we find you if we want to hang out with you online, if we want to hang out with you on social media, what's the best way to connect with you? Yeah, I, the best way would be to check out my website. It's nice and easy. It's www.empoweredplanning.com. And then on Instagram, it's empowered underscore planning. I post free videos every week uh, based around questions that I get via DM or just in conversation where people are 
curious about a topic, I encourage people to ask because I think a lot of people are sometimes embarrassed that they don't know the answer. But if you have the question, I guarantee you there are a ton of other people that have it. So it's a nice, easy way for people to get information without having to publicly blast that they don't know the answer. So I love making those and it also keeps me on my toes. So I know what you know, what's out there and that information. So I mostly hang out on Instagram these days. Yes. Yes. And, and mumming on the side and mm-hmm. being an yes, amazing yes, partner yes. and all of those other things <laughs> that you do in your life. We didn't even get to talk about all of that. <laughs> um is a very busy woman outside of all of this, but it really feels like you have found your lane. You've found your purpose and I'm very excited to see where this work goes. So thank you so much for your time today, Shinabu. Um, yeah, I'm very excited for everybody to get in touch with you. She's very, very friendly on DM. So do not be afraid <laughs> to connect. She's great and she'll write you back. And Thank uh, you so much, Ruby. It was it's just fun for me to see smiles when I talk about finances. So <laughs> thank you for the opportunity and the conversation. I've, I'm, I'm having fun. So I hope people listening are. Yes, I'm sure they will be. Amazing. Thank you, beautiful. Thank you so much. 